There's a critically acclaimed movie that came out in the early 90s called Before Sunrise. It tells the story of two young adults who meet on a train in Eastern Europe. One is French, the other is American. And after talking for a little on the train, the American guy convinces the French girl to get off the train with him and hang out in a really cool Eastern European city before he flies home to America the next day. This is not a horror flick, despite how it easily could have been. And the movie follows their journey as they get to know one another and, dare I say, fall in love. The movie ends with them having expressed their love for one another, but not exchanging phone numbers or addresses, agreeing to meet in the same spot six months later. And that's how it ends. The movie ends with that cliffhanger. And for years, people who saw the movie were left wondering what happened six months later. Did they both return to that spot? Or did life overtake them and they never saw each other again? What happened on that day they agreed to meet? Eventually, they did make a sequel, but it came out almost a decade later. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything. That's not the point in bringing this up. The point is, can you imagine having a life-changing encounter and then not knowing if you'll ever see that person again? Can you imagine meeting someone that you knew made an indelible impact on your life and not sure if you'd ever see them again? Can you imagine having that sort of important connection and realizing you might never connect again? In our lives as Christians, we have incredible experiences of God. And then we wonder, how can that happen again? How can we encounter that again? How can we connect with that again? How can we not just relive that experience, but have that experience again and anew? Throughout this sermon series, we have, been, we have talked about ways in Scripture that people encountered Jesus. How the wise men encountered Jesus in following the star and in worshiping the Christ child. How the disciples encountered the risen Christ and were drawn to worship. How the two men on the road to Emmaus encountered Jesus in the understanding of Scripture and in the breaking of the bread. And we ourselves attempt to encounter Jesus in those things, in worship and in small groups, hoping that like the disciples, we can encounter Christ there. But there's a story Jesus tells about a way that Jesus promises that we can encounter him in our world. And so as we close this sermon series, we're going to look at that story. It comes from Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus said, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this story occurs right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, and it's given the parable is told in the middle of Holy Week. This is one of the final parables Jesus tells before the Passion, before the trial and crucifixion. And we are taken up into the heavens for the final judgment of the nations. And the nations will be gathered before him and will be separated, the sheep from the goats. We make choices all the time. We make judgments. We call some successful and some failure. We call some winners. We call some losers. Like the Vikings. (laughs) Too soon, right? Too soon. Too soon. We separate people into groups, good, bad, righteous, greedy, etc. And this is our chance to see how Jesus separates them, how God separates. We can see what criteria does God use. And God's criteria is on the basis of service. Jesus says to the righteous, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The criteria God uses is not so much what you did for yourself, but how much you did for others, particularly the marginalized particularly the poor, particularly the least among us. But the way Jesus tells this story is peculiar. Jesus says that he is the one who was hungry. He is the one who was thirsty. He is the one that needed clothes. This confuses the righteous, who ask, when did we see Jesus in those states? Jesus replies that any time they reached out in compassion to the least of these, his brothers and sisters, they did it to him. A lot of times I've preached on this passage and I've talked about the necessity of service. I've talked about how God evaluates us based on what we do and how we treat others. I've talked about how small acts of service have eternal implications. But one thing I've never talked about One thing I've always missed in this story is that it's told right before Jesus was going to die. And it's on some level about how we can encounter Jesus. Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. Jesus knows what is about to take place. 
And Jesus probably intuits that after his death and subsequent resurrection and ascension, his followers are going to want to, a way to encounter his presence again. This parable spells out precisely how we can encounter Jesus Christ. And that way is simply this. We encounter Jesus in the eyes, in the face, in the presence of those whom we serve. We encounter Jesus in the eyes, in the face, in the presence of someone who is hungry that we are feeding. We encounter Jesus in the eyes, in the face, in the presence of someone who is thirsty and we give a drink. Someone who needs clothes and we give them clothes. If Jesus' disciples wanted to find him, wanted to encounter him, wanted to feel his presence again, they wouldn't be sent to a gravestone. They wouldn't think back on his life. Instead, they were to go out and serve. And when they fed a hungry person, they'd experience Jesus. When they gave a thirsty person a drink, they'd experience Jesus. When they healed someone who was sick, they'd experience Jesus. The same thing works for us too. And that's why our mission statement is oriented towards service. That's why our mission statement has some movement in it, and that movement is towards service. Because as we mature spiritually, as we encounter Jesus more and more, we learn the simple truth embedded in this parable. We learn that the best way to encounter Jesus is to serve others. That learning is called discipleship. When I came to Spirit and Life, Church leadership had begun the process of re-examining our mission statement and evaluating our programs in light of that mission. Our previous mission statement said we wanted to help people authentically encounter Jesus Christ through worship, praise, and small groups. After nearly five years with that mission statement, we wanted to see if it needed updating. As part of that process, we solicited input uh, to what people thought about our various programs. Through that process, and through conversations with others in leadership and those on staff, what kept coming up was that we needed more of an emphasis on service. We needed more of an emphasis on mission. We needed more of an emphasis on volunteering. We weren't leading people and discipling people to see that the end of faith, the, end of the, the goal of faith is service, discipleship, reaching out, caring for others. Now, this isn't to say that mission wasn't happening. This isn't to say that service wasn't happening. This isn't to say that no one wasn't, that no one was reaching out beyond themselves. I think I got the negatives right. This isn't to say we didn't have a number of people serving in their church or serving out in the world. It's just that what was being done was self-started, self-guided. It wasn't focused. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't as key a part of what we did as it ought to have been. As a result, we felt God calling us to update our mission statement. Our mission statement now had an endpoint. It was directed. We encountered Jesus Christ in worship and small groups for lives of service. For lives of service. That's the point. That's the end. That's the goal. Lives of service. Similarly, over the past year, Church Council has been looking at our vision to see if it still fits after seven years. Our vision is now to be a living sign of God's presence in our community. For me, for us, this is necessarily linked to service. If there were a hundred people in our community 
living lives of service, those hundred people would be a living sign of God's presence here. Because hungry people would be fed. People who needed clothes would be clothed. The lonely would be visited. The sick would be healed. The thirsty would have water. Where there was inequality, need, and despair, there would be enough, there would be hope, and there would be life. And that life would be the living sign that God was here. God was moving. God was working. Speaking of thirsty people. That was almost bad, and then it looked really cool. Since July, we've been collecting one thing or another all the time. Not seemingly all the time, literally all the time. Food, hygiene supplies, coats, shoeboxes filled with presents, money for propane, socks, socks, socks. We've always been collecting something. The goal of that is to continually keep our focus outward. The goal of that is to remind us, because I need to be reminded, that we come here and we worship and we meet in small groups, but it doesn't stop there. There's a so that to it. There's a purpose to it. And the so that, that purpose, is that we reach out in love and compassion to the least, the lost, the lonely, the left out, and the forgotten in our community. But here's the deal, friends. The goal isn't to end with collecting. Our goal isn't just to find more and more and more things to collect. Our goal is that collecting things reminds us of our need to reach out and help spurn us forward in our lives of service. If bringing in socks gives you a sense of purpose, if bringing in socks helps you feel connected with the type of service that connects us to Jesus, why not go a step forward and serve at Streetlight's weekly meal on Wednesday night? Jesus says that when we serve our brothers and sisters who are in need, we are serving him. Jesus says that we can encounter him as we reach out in service. Try serving on a Wednesday night at Streetlight. Try serving on a Monday night at Bread and Fish's dinner at Dumfries UMC. And see, see, if when you look into the eyes of the person you are serving, you don't just see Jesus. See if you can't encounter the presence of Christ. See if, you don't, see if you don't encounter Jesus in the act of feeding someone who is hungry. Collecting things here in worship is meant to help us see the needs in our community. Because I can go about my daily routine. I can go to work. I can come home. I can play with my kids. We can go out to dinner. I can go to the library. I can go shopping. I can do all the things that I have to do and totally miss the fact that there are basic needs that people have in our community that are not being met. Aside from randomly seeing people standing in the median, we can miss it. But there are people who need food, who need canned fruits and soups and food items that are easy enough for us to purchase on our weekly trips to the store. That's a need we can meet. There are people who need toothpaste, who need a razor, who need toilet paper, who need things that have coupons at Costco and BJ's all the time. That's a need we can meet. There are people who need socks. White tube socks that sit at the end of our drawer that we never use. That's a need we can meet. But once we know there are needs, once we see that we can meet those needs, the next step is to see the people 
who have those needs, to see Jesus in the people who have those needs. Friends, we're going to keep collecting things. That's not going away. You know that's not going away. We're going to keep putting the needs of people in our community front and center, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to give opportunities to serve real people in real time in real space. We're going to give you opportunities to look people in the eye and encounter Jesus in their presence. We're going to serve our brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors, the children of God among us face to face. And we're going to find that in serving them, in meeting them, in being with them face to face, we meet Jesus. And we're going to do this because we want to be a living sign of God's presence in our community. God being present in our community means that hunger and thirst and sickness and poverty and homelessness and lack of clothing and loneliness are not forever problems. They are not things that will always be around. They have an expiration date. God's presence means that no one in our community is abandoned. No one is forsaken. No one is lost. No one is given up on. And we are going to embody that. We are going to be a sign of that. We are going to be a sign of hope. We are going to be a sign of grace. We are going to be a sign of peace. We are going to be a sign that one day no one will be hungry. We're going to be a sign that one day no one will be thirsty. We're going to be a sign that one day no one will be homeless. We're going to be a sign that one day everyone what they will have what they need to thrive. We will be a sign through working towards those goals now. We will be a sign through refusing to accept the way things are the problems that exist, the status quo. We will be assigned through working tirelessly towards an outcome that society says is impossible. But it is not impossible because God is here. That's the journey we are on, friends. That's where we're headed. And I, for one, think it's exciting. I think it will lead to growth. I think it will lead to grace. I think it will lead to faith, hope, and love. I think it will lead to seeing miracles in our midst. I think it will lead to a whole lot of encounters with Jesus. I hope that you'll make that journey with us. I hope you'll see this through. I hope you'll encounter Jesus in worship and small groups and come to see how we authentically encounter Jesus in service. I hope you'll become a part of our family. Worship, small groups, and service being a living sign of God's presence. That's who we are. It's what we do. This is us.